Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher with over 15 years of experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is to help yoga teachers transform their teaching by mastering the fundamentals of anatomy. By learning anatomy in my easy step-by-step way, you'll be able to confidently share it in your cues, easily create sequences, and you'll eagerly answer student questions. And all along the way, you'll increase your impact and earning potential. On the podcast here, you will hear anatomy lessons, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. Once you listen to today's episode, go ahead and visit barebonesyoga.com, my website, for free resource guides for teachers. Download any and all that are there, including one of my most popular tools, my sequence building template. And if you'd like, send me a one-line email with the answer to this question. What's your biggest frustration right now as a yoga teacher? And I'm happy to do some brainstorming with you in a free coaching session. My email address is karen at barebonesyoga.com. Thanks for taking the time to listen today. Let's get to today's episode. Hi there, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 195. We are inching closer, my friends, to episode 200, and I am definitely going to do some kind of, I don't know, promotion or event or contest or I don't know. I don't know what, but something is going to commemorate the 200th episode. Be that as it may, here we are on episode 195, and if you're keeping track, this is the third episode that I am doing this week of July 10th, 2022. The first episode of this week posted uh, in the usual slot on Monday, uh, July 11th, and that was an interview I did with one of the teachers in my program, the Yoga Anatomy Blueprint Learning Program. And then I did an episode um, yesterday or the day before, that was episode 194, and that had to do with building your teaching path and sort of lessons from the road, as I called it uh, in the episode itself. And, And it really was inspired by a conversation I'd had with a teacher recently who asked me or inspired me to reflect upon my years as a teacher. And I came up with 10 different themes that I sort of wish someone had shared with me earlier than I had to sort of learn them for myself. And today's episode is going to be focused on one of my favorite topics, and that is the topic of mindset. I sort of also like to call this a focus on uh, neuroscience and neurolinguistic programming. They're somewhat different, but they both focus on different aspects of the brain. And if you don't really think of the brain and the mind as two separate things, or even if you do, you can appreciate how, whether it's neuroscience or focusing on mindset or neuro-linguistic programming, NLP, which focuses a lot on kind of our words, what we say, how we, um, 
how we use language as a reflection of what we think. It is a super important and powerful topic to think about and gives us a lot we can springboard off of in the conversation about development as a teacher. And it's been, for the past several years, a real personal focus of mine to sort of get my shit together when it comes to my mindset. It's a daily process where I feel like I want to right the ship. I often use my walks with my dog, the first walk I do in the morning, as a time to sort of right the ship uh, if I woke up on the wrong side of the bed, or even if I woke up on the right side of the bed to reinforce good attitude, good behavior, good forward thinking, good forward planning. And that is, you know, just kind of a mindset reset that I do every day. That is not something that I was raised doing. That was not something that I was taught to do. It was something I learned really in large part by investing in a coach, a neuroscience coach to work with. And I've talked about that on the podcast before. Over the past couple of weeks, I've seen a number of different comments on social media. I've had conversations with yoga teachers and it's led me to the development of a list of mindset shifts that I wanted to share with teachers as a catalyst to reframing different things that sometimes come up and may have come up for you in your path as a teacher. And just like my last episode, episode 194, and the fact that I wish someone had told me those things back when I was going through them, this is a similar thing. I wish someone had told me some of these things rather than kind of having me go through the experiences that I have because I didn't have this information. I didn't have these tools. I didn't have the ability to recognize when a mindset shift was needed. So the really cool thing about this episode, which doesn't often happen, but is happening today, is that all of the content for this episode, I have put together in a handy download. And all you need to do to get it is either DM me, email me, or just go to my website. The podcast page for this episode will have the link. And it's a handy download you can print out, have it on your desk, use it as a reference to keep you on track. If I had had a list like this, I would have saved myself a bunch of heartache and probably saved myself some of the money I spent on that neuroscience coach. Not that I'm regretting it. It was a great, great investment in myself. Uh, I'm just saying some of these tools especially the tool around reframing things in general uh, is something I never even knew existed. And honestly, you know, when I watch the news, when I see comments on social media about things that have nothing to do with yoga from just people in general, 
people don't know how to reframe things. And reframing things does not mean being a Pollyanna and looking at an awful situation and saying, oh, well, it could have been worse. Reframing things is a powerful technique that puts you in the driver's seat rather than having you be passive, rather than having everything happen to you. It can sometimes be as basic as asking a question to come up with an answer and not just any question, but asking a powerful question, asking an important question, asking an inquiry question that gives you an ability to tap into your own experience and knowledge and intuition to come up with the answer to a current problem you're having. I do a lot of that on my dog walks. If I'm stuck in a particular business problem, if I'm stuck in a particular, you know, problem financially or something, you know, teaching related, as I walk the dog, I ask myself questions. Well, what would be most helpful here? Or what does this student need? Or what does this, what would allow me to reach more teachers with this program? What, you know, I ask questions almost as if I'm being interviewed. And then I wait in the moments that follow to see what comes to light. Because honestly, friends, many times we have the answers to the challenges that face us. We just don't ever settle the fuck down to come up with the answer, to be still, to have the answer come to us. We wait or we look outside ourselves. And, you know, I know social media is a big part of that behavior because it's so easy to reach out. It's so easy to ask the question. It's so easy to look to other people for the answers. And on some level, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just that when it becomes your knee-jerk reaction all the time. I mean, honestly, I'm in this entrepreneurs group and if I had a dime for every time I saw somebody write a post and started out with, I'm in a struggle or I'm confused or I'm stuck. I mean, think about how simply saying those words, this is where the neuro-linguistic programming piece come in, comes into play. Think about how just saying those words sets you up for maintaining that position. When we frame things in a way that has us, the victim, has us where everything is happening to us, then we lose an ability to change the situation or we're massively diluting our power, our ability, our agency over the, over the situation. And so this is where the language you're using is so many times a tell, you know, like in, I don't gamble or I don't play cards, but you know, when they call playing cards, you know, somebody has a tell when they're gambling, they twitch or I don't know, scratch their head or whatever it is. You know, that's why when I work with yoga teachers, many times in our coaching sessions, I listen really closely to the words they use. And when they say things like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not further along in the program, or, oh, I'm just feeling like I, I really need to get this done, or I, I'm so behind, or, you know, all of that wording is a tell. It's a tell to something else 
happening underneath, a belief that you have. Well, what do you mean you're behind? Who's pressuring you to get this done in a certain amount of time? Oh, well, I put this pressure on myself because I really feel like I'm not able to reach the students that I want to reach in a particular way that I want to reach them. And I just, I know if I get this done that, you know, so you start to see through asking me, asking them questions about the word choice that they are selecting, all this other stuff comes up. And it's just infinitely interesting. And at the same time, it highlights how unconscious we are and how habitual we are in our behaviors, in our attitudes, in our beliefs, in our ways of being. And honestly, friends, you know, if we let those things drive us, it's really hard to move forward because oftentimes those things are not functional. They are driven by the ego. They are supported by the ego. They are supported by the status quo. All of those things that come up for you, maybe when you see me promoting my program and you know on some level, it's a perfect match for you. You know on some level, it can truly help you get where you want to go as a teacher. But all those other thoughts come up that make you hesitate. You know, there could be dozens of other examples. I'm just bringing up that example because that's what's happened to me over the years when I've been presented with opportunities to enroll in something where I needed to invest in myself. And I second and third and fourth guessed it. And for instance, with the neuroscience coach and with the entrepreneurs group I'm in for which I needed to purchase a program to be part of that group, I second and third guessed both of those decisions for about, I don't know, maybe like a year or so before I enrolled in, or before I enrolled in the entrepreneur's program and before I invested in the neuroscience coach. And at the end of the day, I could have saved myself over a year of just stalling and delaying and all of that if I just would have made that decision to go for it. And the reason I didn't is because I listened to all those voices. I listened to the status quo. I listened to the fear. And that's what held me back. So all of this has to do with mindset. And in today's episode, what I'm going to do is go over mindset tips for teachers. And again, this is a download you can DM me for, email me for the link, or just go to my website to the episode page for this episode and you'll see the link. So the number, uh, so there's, I think five of them. The first one, Shift your perspective from how you feel to how you can be of service to them, meaning your students, because these, of course, are mindset shifts around teaching. So, you know, it's common when you're nervous as a teacher or when you feel that imposter syndrome coming up or when you feel that lack of confidence starting to brew. It's it's common to shift your perspective to how you feel, because let's face it, you are feeling certain emotions as a result of having this overarching feeling of a lack of confidence, being an imposter. I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm not, you know, experienced enough to be teaching the class. All of a sudden, 
when the spark of those feelings of doubt come into play. And if you've ever been teaching and you've had this experience, which I bet you have, I've had it, um, you know that it, it starts a cycle and you can be teaching a class and all of a sudden you're sort of circling this Dante's circle of self-doubt and it becomes really difficult to focus on what you're doing. And so what this mindset shift offers you is to shift your perspective from how you feel to how you can be of service to them. And the metaphor I give you is instead of having your camera on selfie mode, now you have your camera on outward mode. So your regular mode. So you're looking out at the world, in this case, your class, because as soon as you shift your focus to them, you become outwardly focused and not inwardly focused. And while there are definitely times that it makes sense to be inwardly focused, like when we're meditating or when we're just kind of in the zone, in flow, in a state of flow. I mean, there's a lot of books that have been written about that state. Um, there are times that it's really helpful to look out into the world. Matter of fact, my one of my favorite podcasts that I talk about a lot, the Huberman Lab podcast by Dr. Andrew Huberman, a professor of ophthalmology and neurobiology uh, or neuroscience at Stanford School of Medicine talks about is, and this is of course in part because he's a professor of ophthalmology, right? The study of the eyes is the body's reaction to stress is in part, one of the body's reactions to stress is to narrow the view, to narrow the scope of your focus. Think about if you're waiting for a call from your doctor, you're probably really focused on whatever's right in front of you. Or maybe if you're waiting in the doctor's office, you're just scrolling through your phone. You don't really want to look around. You want to just kind of stay in this kind of visual cocoon until you, you know, get the news or, or whatever the scenario is. This is this. So, so what he prescribes, and I use that term, Lucy, what he suggests is that you widen the aperture of your view, right? So if you remember back, if you ever took any courses on camera, taking pictures and that kind of thing, the aperture of the camera, it widens the lens or narrows the lens. And so your eyes uh, operate in the same way. So when you widen the lens, the aperture of your vision and you take in more uh, of your visual field, you widen your visual field. He talks about how it actually can decrease stress. And so this speaks to the same thing. When we are teaching, if we narrow our vision to just our experiences, we feel those butterflies in our stomach. We feel kind of the, the, the heat building up on our neck. we get flushed. We're like, Oh God, we're nervous. If we can shift our focus to what's happening in front of us, really see our students we can experience a decrease in those kind of autonomic nervous system responses and start to be literally more of service to the people in front of us. So you have that physical reaction that goes away. 
and or you know in a few minutes as you start to widen your your view and look more at the students and you actually find that your skill as a teacher improves because now you're focusing more on them are my words landing well on them are they doing what i want them to do do i see the right actions based upon the cues i'm sharing right so in a few minutes you'll be forgetting about how you feel and your focus will be on your teach on your students so your teaching actually becomes more effective so it has this really amazing powerful um uh impact so that's number one shift your perspective from how you feel to how you can be of service to them and of course this relates to if you're feeling that nervousness when you teach so the next mindset shift is this instead of striving to be the expert embrace being the guide you know i can remember one time when i was early on in my teaching um, path and i was talking to my dad and i was saying something along the lines of you know who am i to be teach i wasn't literally saying it like this but essentially what i was saying to him is who am i to be teaching this like you know i sort of feel like i'm kind of doing the same thing over and over again i'm saying the same thing over and over again and my father said something to the effect of well, remember, Karen, when people come to your classes, it's all sort of new to them. And I'll never forget that because, you know, even for students that come to your classes regularly, there is always a newness to being on the mat. I mean, put yourself right now in the body of you as a student, not you as a yoga teacher. Every time you come onto your mat, it is a new experience. The downward dog you did yesterday is different from the one you're going to do today. Your physical experiences, your sensory experiences, your mental experience of being on the mat today will be different. And so even if there's a familiarity in the sequence you're doing, how your teacher's phrasing it, on some level, that's okay. It's not like you're there on the mat going, oh my God, this is such a drag because there are so many variables that change from practice to practice to practice. So that's number one reframe in regards to this. You know, this idea of we're not there as yoga teachers to be the expert in everything. We're there to facilitate and we're there to be the guide. And when you think of it that way, does it give you more breathing room does it relieve some of the pressure does it allow you to show up more authentically right so all of this talk about being an imposter i don't have enough experience to be teaching yoga you know does that ease the pressure off a little bit and the other thing to remember is <laughs> you are trained as a yoga teacher you didn't just hop off the street and hop into the studio and stand up in front of a bunch of people. You presumably, I would assume, have 200 hours of training from a program, maybe more hours beyond that as well, and whatever experience you have teaching. So you have more experience than the people in your class. You know, maybe, yeah, there's a yoga teacher in that class, but aside from that person, you've got more experience than the people there. And so it's not really about that. It's just that I want you to keep that in mind. For those of you out there who are feeling an imposter syndrome, even if you just graduated from your teacher training, you've still got more experience than anybody in your class. So let's just kind of look at it factually 
And, you know, even though facts don't often quell some of the feelings that happen to us, that some of the feelings that we're feeling, it is sort of interesting when we start to juxtapose facts with how we feel, right? The fact is you've graduated from a training. The fact is none of the people in your class have graduated from a teacher training. So therefore, it's reasonable to say you have more experience than anybody in your class teaching yoga. And don't say, well, but what if they've been a student for a long time? You know as well as I do, being a student of yoga is very different from being a teacher. And the reason I know that is because every time I work with yoga teachers in my program and in other people's teacher training programs where I teach the anatomy, the experience of teachers teaching is always initially a challenge, even if they've been practicing for a long time, because to articulate the practice is very different from practicing the practice. And that is why teaching yoga is such an important skill to be done without practicing with your students. Because if you practice when you teach as the primary mode of teaching, you're only just continuing to reinforce that way of being, those brain patterns, that way of sharing yoga that leverages you being a student instead of you being a teacher, instead of you being a guide, you being a facilitator. And in that role, you will be powerful beyond measure. In the other role, you're just practicing with them as if you were at some beach party and you said, hey, everybody, let's do yoga. And everybody hopped on the mat and you were all just practicing yoga and you happened to be talking them through it. That's not being a teacher. And, you know, I understand. I mean, even when I teach online, yes, I'm doing a little bit in and out. And sometimes there are logistical reasons for that. I'm talking about when you're teaching in person and even to a certain extent when you're teaching online, having your primary mode be not to practice with your students. So that's number two. Instead of striving to be the expert, embrace being the guide. Number three, it's not about perfection. It's about connection. So I want you to think about this as a reframe, because when we strive to be perfect or near to it in our teaching, we're setting ourselves up for failure. And it doesn't even relate as a reasonable goal, because I bet the classes that you've loved as a student were not perfect classes. In fact, they were probably imperfect classes. And in that imperfection was the humanity, was the relatability, was the humanness, was the authenticity. I mean, those are the classes you love because the person teaching was not trying to be perfect, was not like an Instagram model, was not a particular age or dressed a particular way was not doing a super complicated sequence. It was somebody who was, as we said in the earlier piece, a guide, a facilitator to help you shine, to help you come forward on the mat as your most powerful, authentic self in an even more powerful way, because you're not even speaking. Like, that is one of the beauties of teaching yoga is that you as a facilitator are helping people 
tap into their power as an individual in a nonverbal way, you know, in moving on the mat, in listening to cues and taking right action in the body. I mean, all of your students out there who say, I can only learn yoga if someone's doing it in front of me. Those are the students who will have major breakthroughs when they realize they don't need you to be practicing for them to, to be able to quote unquote do yoga. They can simply listen, integrate what they hear and do the practice. That again is another reason why it's so important to not practice with your students because you want those quote unquote, I can't learn yoga unless I see somebody. You want those people to realize that's not an identity that they have. That's not a brain type that they are. This is where those beliefs come up that I talked about earlier from an NLP perspective. Anytime you find yourself saying, I'm not good at math. I'm not able to learn without seeing somebody do it. I'm not good at saving money. All those things that you say are a tell. They're a tell to what you think about yourself. And the more you dig your heels in, the more rigid you are and you become, and the more ingrained those identities become. And sometimes people go to the grave and they never realize that they had another way available to them. I mean, think of that old Christmas story about Scrooge and he lived his whole life and he was just such a jerk to everybody. And it wasn't until the ghost of Christmas past and Christmas future came to him on Christmas Eve and showed him that if he didn't change, this is what's going to happen. And he woke up the next day and he opened the shutters and he was like, hi, young boy, here's money. Go buy a Christmas goose and hi, neighbor and everything. And he realized, thank God, I have another chance. I can change who I am. And this is absolutely what we're talking about whenever we start to say to ourselves, I am this way, I am that way. That belief, if you don't catch it in yourself, will always be part of you as your identity. And you'll, you'll never move past it. And so this is one of the reasons why in regards to perfection and connection that we want to, again, not only think of ourselves as a guide, but also realize that in our striving for connection, instead of being perfect, we really own that role as a facilitator, as a guide. And in turn, that allows our students to really shine. And those are the most powerful classes you'll be ever to teach you'll you'll ever teach. Number four, complexity is the enemy of confidence. Complexity is the enemy of confidence. You know, when I, again, when I work with yoga teachers in my program or in other people's programs, when I teach the anatomy, I'm always amazed at how complex people are making their sequences. When I see posts on social media, oh, well, here's the sequence I'm doing. What do you guys think? And I'm just like, whoa, we just need to make this basic. You know, this idea that yoga needs to be complex just makes the focus more on us what's going to come next. I need my notes. I need to, you know, kind of 
think ahead about what's going to come up next. How am I going to cue this? When we fill our sequences with complexity, we're often caught up in what comes next in the class and how to explain it in the cues that we share. This is one of the biggest challenges to feeling confident because we're constantly in our heads thinking, are they understanding what I'm saying? And also, when our sequences are more complex, it's harder to increase accessibility. Accessibility, in my opinion, should be our general goal as yoga teachers. Now, I say that, of course, recognizing that many of you out there teach very niche classes to seniors, to kids, to people with different challenges, be it mental or physical. Maybe some of you are teaching different styles of yoga that require a high degree of mobility. Those are special circumstances. For the rest of the teachers out there, if you're not in a niche area, have my suggestion, my plea to you in, a, in an effort to make yoga more mainstream than it even is, is to have our goal be accessibility rather than complexity. And to understand that the more complicated it is, the sequences you're teaching, the harder it is to confidently share them. And when I say complexity, I'm sorry, when I say complexity, I mean the pose, looking at the pose from the perspective of physical challenge from the point of view of anatomy. Now, yes, there absolutely is a point you can make that presenting challenging postures like arm balances, for instance, is a great way to build the confidence in your students. So yes, there is that aspect that I don't wanna deny. What I am suggesting though is, even if you're teaching arm balances, there's a way to do it that is very essential and further to have that be sort of a standalone piece of a generally accessible sequence rather than a piece in a highly complex sequence. So those are the distinctions I'm going to make for that. All right, so the last one is you already know enough to create the sequences and cues you want to share. Now, let's just face it, you know, we always have things that we can learn. We're always going to be learning and expanding our repertoire for how we share cues and build sequences. And that will happen over time. What though would be possible for you if you sort of drew a line in the sand right now and decided that you were going to go forward with what you currently knew. So put down those sequence books, put down that phone and laptop where you're in those groups with yoga teachers, put all that aside and own what you know and share from that. Like, wouldn't that be such an amazing relief to not have to constantly be outwardly focused for give me ideas? Because again, Going through a 200-hour teacher training program gives you plenty of stuff you can work with, and teaching from action is absolutely a cues strategy that you can use right now that doesn't 
need you to do much more. It doesn't need you to do research. It doesn't need you to make it interesting. It doesn't need you to make it creative. And the prior piece that we talked about, this idea of making things accessible, that means that the postures you pick in your sequence are going to be fundamental poses. So now you can really lean into the core principles of yoga that make it wonderful. The breath, silence, meditation, stillness, space, you know, these gaze, breath, these key pieces. So I just add this in as a way to sort of support you and kind of hold you up and, and give you the acknowledgement that you already know enough right now. Not to say you're not going to continue to build your knowledge, not to say that, yes, it is a really um, wonderful shift in your teaching to be able to share in particular from anatomy-based cueing. And yes, maybe there's going to be a learning curve there for you on that piece. However, right now, right now as a 200 hour trained teacher, you can share action cues. You can powerfully teach with what you know. So I'm going to end this episode here. Again, this is episode three for the week. I really hope that you've been enjoying these bonus episodes uh, this week. I really would love to hear from you on this episode or any of the episodes from this week. Post on social media, send me a direct message on Instagram. Let me know what you think about these. I really hope you enjoy them. Coming up on Monday, I actually already have the next uh, episode of the podcast recorded because it's another interview with a teacher and I can't wait to share it with you. So I hope you have a wonderful, you know, if you're listening to this in live time, a wonderful weekend and I will be back at it on Monday, the 18th. And that next episode will, will go live then. Thank you so much for watching and namaste. Hi there. Well, you made it to the end of the episode and now you're listening to the outro, which is amazing. Thank you so much for staying all the way until the end. So I want to just let you know that I just the other day put on my website on the events page, a really cool and short, it's like 20 minutes recorded workshop that I've done. And it covers how the topic of how to provide effective cues. And this is something that I get asked about all the time. So I wanted to do a special recorded webinar workshop that you could listen to, you can watch because it is uh, an actual visual workshop as if you were there with me in the studio, uh, or you could just listen to it. I think it's gonna be better if you actually watch it. So how you get to this is super easy. You just go to my website, which is barebonesyoga.com. And on the events page, you're going to see the schedule for the events I'm holding on any particular month. And right on that page, you'll see a link to watch the automated webinar. And I like to call them workshops because in the teacher world, yoga teacher world, that's what we call these deep dives we do into different topics. And this one is no different. So just hop over there, barebonesyoga.com, go to the events page. You can watch 
this uh, webinar that I recently recorded. Here we are in the middle of 2022, and it's got some really cool ideas and strategies that you can use to really build your confidence in your queuing. So once you watch that, if you have any questions, of course, just reach out to me and let me know, and I'm happy to hop on a call with you and answer whatever questions you might have. Namaste.